Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Geeks United. We're going to be talking about June Blu-rays on this episode. But first, maybe we can chat a little bit about some recent movies that we've seen, because we don't do that enough. We're so preoccupied with, you know, the theme of the, the episodes, which is Blu-ray releases. But let's, let's talk a little bit about recent theatrical experiences. Uh-huh. Because I've had one. My first, <laughs> my first movie back in the theater... In two and a half years, actually. Yay! <laughs> finally, finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was uh, it was Elvis. I decided to go see Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do tell, do tell. Well, I went with my friend, our mutual friend Rick. Mm-hmm. And he liked it a lot more than I did. I kind of hated most of it. Wow, really? I'm surprised. Yeah. Because I thought I was really looking forward to a proper narrative theatrical film about Elvis. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, I guess my problem is with Baz Lorman. I think he directed that movie to death. Or more, more succinctly, he edited it to death. Mm-hmm. Because I, w- I would imagine when they're filming it, they actually let scenes play. I would think so. And then they cut it all to hell. Right. And, sure. you know, and I was thinking to myself, you know, if I were Austin Butler and I obviously he's fantastic, even in the movie that exists. But if I put all this work, years of work in only to have the director subterfuge my performance by showing <laughs> off, by showing off, I would be pissed off because I felt like the at least the first full half of the movie is cut like a trailer. Mm hmm. And it's so hard to gain some kind of anchored engagement when when you're just faced with a barrage of that, and it just got so monotonous. You know, there's Scorsese movies where that there's that kind of adrenaline, um, uh, but it, it, it even the Scorsese movies are broken up by by moments, uh, observations of behavior, and you actually sit with characters for a little bit, and the dialogue is wonderful, and all this kind of stuff. You get a sense of engagement in it Baz mm-hmm. Luhrmann did not allow that for me when I watched Elvis and I, it really kind of pissed me off now from the 68 special on which is like the midpoint of the movie yep. it does slow down a bit uh, and 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 you feel like you're like I was able to focus more on you know I was able to grasp something you know I, I wasn't being treated like an ADHD teenager mm-hmm. and I appreciated that and and but I, I will also say that the, the Baz Luhrmann's strengths in the movie, the way he handles the music, there's some there's some musical choices that he makes in this movie that are absolutely brilliant, and it, that happens in the conception and the editing of it. Like there's a scene that melds the rhythm and blues uh, guitar player and across the way the revival tent, and those musical styles kind of blend and meld, and that's Elvis right there in the middle. I thought that conceptually that was just beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the '68 special there when he sings "If I Can Dream" that's a that's a really moving moment. Uh, you know, there's so there's good stuff about it. I also don't like the fact that Tom Hanks was the pretty much the lead in it. I mean, you could say they're co-leads, but Hanks not only has as much screen time it seems as Elvis, but he also narrates the thing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so for for the most part, I. I was so kind of gravely disappointed 
because of Baz Luhrmann. It's like, you know, I like autorism, you know, and, and what, what he does does not, uh, uh, accelerate or deepen your investment in the movie. It distracts from it. I don't like that kind of direction. Yeah, those are all valid criticisms. I can't, uh, can't argue with anything that you have said. I, um, and yet, I enjoyed it, I must admit. And I think maybe my reasons for enjoying it are that I had so, such low expectations because I know what he does, you know, very well, <laughs> having seen them all. And so I, I went into it knowing that this was going to be a Boz Luhrmannized version of the life and times of Elvis Presley. And so I expected really, uh, no substance whatsoever uh, throughout the film. I expected to just be razzle dazzle, and I was really surprised at uh, the fact that you know, as you said, that as it went on, that you did get some substance out of it and more of a narrative thread. And it is a little bit uh, ADD, like you said in the early going, but I, I do enjoy some of the stylistic touches, like when they were recreating the uh, the '60s uh, when he was. Uh, the, the montage of all the films that he was making at the same, you know, yeah, that, that would have been was, fine. That would have been fine if it were uh, uh, an example of uh, not the entire style of the first half of the movie. Right. Sure. You know, Just that one sec yeah. section would have been fine, but not the entire <laughs> 40, hour and 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Um, and he, yeah, my, but, my feeling was, is mm -hmm. that, you know, he was going to tell it more straight uh, and he was going to temper down his stylistic flourishes, but that thing is drowning in basmataz. I mean, it's yeah. like <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's the he's he's as ramped up, and it's not the fact that he's trying to appeal to kids, uh, young people, even though I think he probably is with the people that he shows to do covers of Elvis songs and all that kind of stuff to somehow mm -hmm. try to make them relevant for today. But it's because he's always had that style. So it, it, he had that style 20 years ago. That's right. Um, yeah, he did. And I do think that the script is fine. The script is pretty good. The the script does have some substance substance in human drama. I just don't know why he didn't let it play without all of his pyrotechnic bullshit. That just aggravates the piss out of me. And he also says that you know he wanted to make a movie about America. And I don't find that he really did that either, because, you know, there's there's attention paid to the 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 political assassinations and the King and the Robert Kennedy, which Robert Kennedy wasn't assassinated while they were filming. That's right. Uh, but that's fine. I understand why he did it. But other than that kind of lip service, uh, you know, there was a movie made about Elvis and how he reflects the path of America, and that was that documentary, The King. And that mm -hmm. was actually about that. I don't feel like Baz Luhrmann's movie is about that, like he says it is. No, I agree. I agree. Unless you're, you know, thinking about in terms of what the what the Colonel achieved, you know, coming from basically nothing and achieving the American dream, though he even though he wasn't American. So I, I guess you, if you wanted to <laughs> come at it from that angle, I I guess maybe, yeah. but. But, but it, should, yeah. it was called the movie's called Elvis. It's Absolutely. not about how Colonel Tom Parker reflected the American. Right. <laughs> you know, it yes. should be anyway. I mean, call it Colonel Tom Parker if that's what yeah. you're making a movie about. And I don't ever remember him talking like that, Colonel Tom Parker. 
No. Every he, video he, clip I've seen, he has a southern accent. Was that, right? It, he does. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that was uh, that was a little uh, strange choice for him to uh, choose that the way you know his and and the the accent would come and go at times. I noticed as well too. That was kind of strange. Like Tom Hanks's voice would be completely clear in certain moments, and yeah. then it would go back into you know. So was, well, you know, okay. it may, maybe intentionally so. If this guy was an imposter. Right. Who? Yeah. Who knows who he really was? But um, but yeah, I uh, I was surprised because I expected this movie to have, you know, to be along the lines of Bohemian Rhapsody, which we all know I detested because they got so many of the details wrong uh, and it was just sloppy with the research. And I was shocked at how many details they got right with this movie from now. Obviously, there are some. As you just mentioned, the thing about uh, Robert Kennedy being shot and them filming it supposedly simultaneously, and that uh, that didn't happen. But there were some interesting choices they made, I thought. Um, for me, like interest, what they could have done, like a lot of these biopics, they could have just inserted a generic character as the director of the 68 special. But no, they mm. actually took the time to call him Steve Bender, which it is Steve Bender. He's a legendary television director. And they created a character based on Steve Bender, you know, who is, you know, also directed the, uh, the star Wars, the star Wars Christmas special and many other things, the Pee Wee Herman Christmas special. So, you know, he's a legendary TV director and they, you know, they portrayed him as such. And, um, you know, so that was interesting instead of just, you know, generic director with no name, they decided to actually, Give him a name and the real name. And so little touches like that, the thing where he uh, breaks free, tries to break free of Colonel Tom uh, didn't happen on stage as depicted in the movie. But where the sequence that they depict where Colonel Tom sends him a bill uh, for what he's owed, Mm -hmm. that really happened. That's Mm -hmm. that's true. So uh, there are some things that they got right in the film. Those are two examples I could cite that I was. I, w- I didn't expect him to do anything of that nature. I just expected it to be all. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm coming at it from the level of uh, my expectations were so low. I was completely surprised that at how much uh, better it was than what I expected. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have any problems with the movie's take on uh, on the movie's factual content. Right. And I and even you know its understanding of where Elvis's music came from. And uh, its understanding of the soul of of Elvis. I don't have a problem with any of that. My problem is 1,000% with Baz Luhrmann, the director. His style choices. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I I would agree. Yeah, he doesn't know when to quit. Overkill is his middle name. So, yeah, I I would agree. But, uh, you know, all in all, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to say it's a perfect film you know it's it definitely has some problems as you said but but i overall i did enjoy it i can't, uh, I can't everybody is it. like I, I you know i've read a couple of semi-negative uh-huh but you know for the most part people are going gaga over it like normal people that go see movies pretty much yeah. like it from who i've talked to and the thing i like about it too is the fact that it deserves to be seen begs to be seen on a yeah. big screen it's spectacle the, yeah. in the in the grandest way possible and so many of these movies that are coming out they're not really they don't have a, a visual style so to speak or they're just kind of generically done and it's so refreshing to uh, even though he has his 
problems, as you mentioned. Uh, it's refreshing to see somebody designing something for a big screen experience sure. with that in mind. And so I, I, I admire that, and it was refreshing. And I was thinking to myself, this is this is spectacle that we yeah. expect. There are the great musical moments there, and the, I even I like the uh, sequence where he's putting together the Vegas show. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's yeah. di- directing the horns and everything. I mean, there's be- there's beautiful musical moments in it. I just think. Yep. Austin Butler deserves so much better because mm-hmm. I mean he's 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 working his heart out and Baz Luhrmann's going all over the place. It's like what you you would hear about Terrence Malick directing. Yep. Like you're acting so, for Terrence Malick and he says, "Oh, a butterfly," and he <laughs> and he runs off and films the butterfly in the middle of your scene. That's what Luhrmann's doing with the editing of this movie. You know. Mercifully, there's a scene late in the movie where he shares a moment in the back of a limo with Priscilla Presley. It's mm-hmm. like the it's like the quietest, most kind of stable scene in the movie. One of them, anyway, and it's mm-hmm. it's very affecting because of it. It is. You know, you need to know somebody like Lorman needs to know. Even though he's he's doing fine on his own, he doesn't need to learn anything from me for God's sakes. But some directors know the, the concept of contrast. And that when you go for those heavily stylized, adrenalized, heart-pumping moments, they are more effective if they're countered with the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. there's this, there's a, a, a mastery of tone, a mastery of you know that balance. Yeah, Hell, even of- even Wolf of Wall Street has it, and that's that's Scorsese's most rambunctious movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like I said, can't really argue with any of your uh, concerns about it. I uh, for sure. But and yet, having said that, I I did enjoy it. Didn't didn't love it, but but did admire it. And um, you know, uh, and, you know, it was it was a fun time at the movies for me. Yeah, so. I'm glad it, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad the family's happy with it. Yeah, and I'm surprised that uh, there was a lot of you know concern as to whether what its box office potential was leading up to. There's a little, uh, a lot of talk in the press, whispers or chatter or whatever that it might not do so well, and Warner Brothers might have a potential loss on their hands. But uh, that didn't turn out to be the case, which I guess gives us a little um, hope for movies that are maybe not centered around comic books and things of that nature. I yeah, know. I don't know how it's doing in the uh, second weekend or how it did internationally. Mm-hmm. Well, they got that Minions film coming up against it, so uh, what do you... <laughs> can't stop those Minions. An 18-plex where I saw this movie last night. Uh-huh. They were playing seven movies. Wow. And that's something... Wasn't the promise of a multiplex that you'd get more variety, more kinds of movies? Yeah, Wasn't that was the also rom- the promise of the digital promise. Right. Yeah, and the digital projection too. That was also the promise of because uh, they said, oh, we you know we don't have to actually send film prints. We can get those uh, harder to see films in your theater uh, digitally to you a lot easier, and, and it's just easier to not have to strike up these prints for these lower budgeted films. And uh, well, that that dream went flying out the window, I guess too. So. Yeah, and I never yeah. heard anything about. Pro- uh, about the actual studio profits, I guess they did increasing with um, mm-hmm. the move to digital because it would seem more cost efficient. I guess it would. I guess it comes from the P, the marketing budget 
mm-hmm. whatever they call it, P&L budget or whatever that is, where, you know, at one time you had to pay for shipping to 3,000 theaters every week. That's right. And, and that now you don't. Is, right, exactly. That's what I was going to say. You know, that cost has been absorbed, and you would think that that would be helpful to them to to get some of these, uh, you know, smaller films out there. But, nope, doesn't seem to be the case. So uh, speaking of which, uh, I, I thought this was an interesting we'll talk about talking about digital projection. I, I did want to mention the uh, big kerfluffle over the thing when uh, they did the Fathom events and Mick oh, yeah. Garris <laughs> came up and uh, did that post that went viral about them not running the film in 2.35 aspect ratio. And it was uh, it looked like a, a bad satellite, uh, you know. A streaming event instead of an, an actual digitally project, DCP rather, and uh, he it went viral and they agreed to you know run it in the correct aspect ratio and it was it's I'm not a fan of those Fathom events I have to admit I I've only seen one of them to be quite honest I saw Treasure of the Sierra Madre in 2018 I guess it was and it really it didn't look good at all it, it mm. looked like uh, it just didn't look good. It looked like uh, streaming with a bad internet connection. Hmm. And so I haven't been to any more. And I know I have a lot of friends who aren't uh, as serious about the quality of things as I am, who will go to those things regularly. And they're always uh, touting their benefits and singing their praises, all that stuff. And Interesting. I, I just, yeah, uh, I've yeah. always told myself, oh, I'd like to see that on the big screen. But um when I've seen those announcements of Fathom events, but I've never gone. Uh, but, you know, if you're dealing with a film projection system, that'll be no problem. You just switch the lens. You just push mm-hmm. a button. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you would think so. But I guess they sent, since the, it sounds like they're just piping it out via satellite as opposed to sending DCPs. Sure, so yeah. Whoever's but then there's, there's no control of that? You can't, I, I guess not. I guess they cropped it or something. Wherever they were sending the signal from, they, at Fathom Events, made the decision to do it at 1.85 on their end, I guess. I think that's what happened. I I understand it. We have a classic movie theater here called the Polk Theater, and actually one of its claims to fame is uh, in 1956 Elvis played here Mm -hmm. at the Polk Theater. And... uh, did a 30-minute interview backstage with the radio host, and uh, that's online. And, you know, you go into the Polk Theater now, and it is a big, ornate, you know, like the classic movie houses, and they have kind of a shrine to when Elvis visited. But Elvis also visited here in town in 1976, about nine months before he died. Oh, wow. And there's video footage of him on YouTube from that concert, and all the women are throwing towels up at him so they can collect his sweat, and he throws it back at him. It's <laughs> yeah, just, you know you're too famous when people just want your sweat. And then um, oh, and yeah. then there's a bootleg album of that concert available. Uh, I don't know my... Oh, here's my point. Polk Theater. Um, uh-huh. So I, I look at their marquee the other day, and they're playing Chinatown and Frantic. Oh, wow, what a good double In picture. Lakeland, Florida. And I'm like... It's amazing. There's somebody there that has a... that has real eclectic tastes yeah, with a large I know who that is. with a large blu-ray collection because they're not film prints mm-hmm. uh and that's uh in last year they were playing last tango in paris and i'm like do these people do they know their community like but it, it, i mean it's fine it's fine to challenge 
conventional tastes and that kind of thing. That's kind of admirable, but that was weird. I'm like, how many people are going to show up for Frantic or Tango in Paris? Yeah. <laughs> but I won't go because it's just a Blu-ray. They're putting in a, fork, a Blu-ray or something and pressing play. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I know we there's a local locally owned theater in my backyard here that has uh, they have horror specially curated horror films every October, and they actually get DCPs and they advertise wow. that. They say we we use DCPs. We don't use Blu-rays. <laughs> they had to use a Blu-ray one time because their DCP was damaged and they couldn't do Lost Boys uh, from the DCP, and so they had to out of necessity use the Blu-ray. But other than that, they use DCPs, and they look beautiful. They did the thing a couple of years back. I went and saw that, and it was correctly projected at 2.35. It looked great. Uh, I saw uh, Aliens. Yeah, the second Alien. uh, No, I think I saw the first one. I saw the first one there. I saw The Shining. They had a DCP of The Shining, and I saw The Wicker Man there and Christine. I don't think Frantic is available in that format, though. A movie like Frantic. I wouldn't think so, but you never know. I mean, the people at Warner's, well, this, not just Warner's, but the studios are constantly, I know they have a guy full-time, I don't know about Warner's, but over at Sony, they have a guy's, uh, I think his name's Grover Crisp, and he, that's his full-time job, is to get digital uh, transfers of all of their library. He's hmm. constantly, you know, putting, even the most obscure things, he's, uh, he, he's, he's making DCPs out of them constantly, so. Uh, I don't know what they do over at Warner's, but uh, that you know, because that's a Warner title, I I do believe. So well, here's a trivia question for you: Who wrote in the ghetto? Oh, that's Mac Davis. There you go. Very good. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And he also uh, he he wrote another one for him too, wasn't it? I want to say Mama liked the roses. Maybe that's a Mac Davis, but um, maybe maybe, maybe not. But Mama I know liked, there's more. Mama than one. liked the roses. Yeah, that was the flip side of um, that was the flip side of his top ten single, uh, the uh, the Wonder of You. Sounds like something Lenny of of Mice and Men would say. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the B side of uh, of the Wonder of You, which charted the uh, it was on the charts the month I was born. So uh, wow. yeah, so that's I think I think that was a Mac Davis composition. I do know it. And here's another here's a trivia question for you. Who wrote uh, Kentucky Rain? How about that? Oh, uh, I you probably uh, know. I knew this. I'm not gonna be able to think of it, but though. It's a good one. He was a very famous country singer in his own right. Later on. Who? It <laughs> uh, was uh, Eddie Rabbit. Oh, Eddie Rabbit. Yeah. I love Eddie. the rainy night. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, apparently he had an opportunity to record Kentucky Rain, and uh, the song was circulating around, and Elvis got wind of it, and he liked it a lot. And he was in a conundrum because either he could record it and, or he could give it to Elvis, and he opted for the uh, the latter. Mm. And, of course, it became a hit. And But it, unfortunately, it stalled his career as a performer for about another five years or something. <laughs> yeah. But those royalties are nice. Elvis royalties must be nice. Oh yeah, yep, right. But you know, Eddie Rabbit got there. He unfortunately didn't 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 live to be a ripe old age. But oh, he's he, dead. I didn't even know he died. Oh yeah, he was only fifty six when he died. Mm. I believe he died in nineteen ninety eight of lung cancer. Oh, he was driving his life away. Yeah, <laughs> looking for a better way. <laughs> he did. Unfortunately, I he was he was. Uh, 
Yeah, he was good. I liked Eddie Rabbit. Uh, Every which way but loose. Yeah, I remember uh, that that uh, you know that uh, period of time in country music, Eddie Rabbit and Crystal Gale and all that stuff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just you and I. Yeah. Just brought that one up. Yeah, when they did the duet. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I guess. Oh, I did see Black Phone. I, I will mention that. I saw Black Phone, and that was held back, you know, from January. They wanted to release it in January, and they said uh, the word on the street was that it was so good that we're going to wait till summertime to release it. And I don't know why they waited. They should have just put it out in January because it was fine, but not particularly earth-shattering, not really scary. But I will say this. They captured the period of 1978 perfectly. I don't know of a recent film in memory that, that looks like it was actually made in 1978. It's amazing. Wow. wow. And a, uh, a, a little warm smile came on my face because over the uh, opening credits, they played Free Ride by the Edgar Winter Group, and that was one of my dad's favorite records of the early 70s. He played that many, many times hmm. when I was a kid growing up, and to hear that blasting over the sound system put a little smile on my face to make me think about my dad. So, well, uh, the, Black- the box office is back. So it it's, is. it's probably yeah, it's, it's probably good for it that it waited just in terms of I mean they waited two years for Top Gun and that decision paid off. Yeah, that's true. It Big sure time. did in, in spades. Yeah, it's already going to be streaming what uh, this month or is, is it, it? Month? I think so. I, think I it's thought, gonna be I thought it was going to be like September or something. I think it's at the end of this month. I believe it is going to be streaming either at the end of this month or beginning of next month. Because I think uh, yeah, well that's interesting. Because I thought Tom Cruise contractually. And why would you? I mean, it's still, you know, in the top three yeah. of the box office. Why, That's why, true. Why, it's like there's some decisions I don't understand. It's like um, The Old Man. I'm watching the series The Old Man with Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. And I'm liking it a lot. Yeah. My understanding is it's a 10-episode limited series, so it's a standalone mm-hmm. kind of story. And then last week they announced that they approved a season two. And I'm like, well, that completely obliterates all the stakes of this first season. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, what is that decision? That it's just nonsensical. Yeah. Silly stuff. Well, box office wasn't back for Lightyear, I noticed. So uh, <laughs> that took a nosedive. Yeah. I was kind of shocked about that because people usually rush out for these uh, Pixar things. That was a surprise. I didn't see it. Um, yeah, you know, I heard it was kind of mediocre, but. Anyway, neither here nor there. And we do have a new uh, indie theater in our neighborhood. We have gone for almost two years without having in a theater that was completely dedicated to art house films, but we've got a new one. Um, so um, it just opened two weeks ago, I believe it was. So we'll see okay. how that does. And it'll close in another two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Grand opening, well, grand closing. Well, I thought about you because this coming Thursday they are running the 4K restoration of Lost Highway, mm. and so uh, they will be uh, running that on the uh, yeah at the, at the theater. So, I saw uh, I saw that eight years ago at the ArcLight at mm-hmm. Cinerama Dome. Oh, that's right, you did. I've forgotten about that. Yeah, it's um, you know half half of Lynch's movies I love, and Lost mm-hmm. Highway is in the other half. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I tend to agree. But uh yes, yes, yes. Well, anyway, so enough chatter about other things. I'll uh we'll just move along to the uh the Blu-ray stuff. That's what we were heading for, so let's get to it. Oh, so we'll do the criteria and uh, we'll go ahead and do the uh 
the, uh, the releases uh, from the Criterion Collection for June, and this, of course, is our June take on what was released. And we have Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's Marriage of Cinema and Opera in the uh, one-of-a-kind take on the classic story fantasy opera The Tales of Hoffman, a uh, poet dreams of three women, all of whom break his heart in different ways, and it has all the uh, typical things that you would find, the visual uh, um, style that Powell and Pressburger were known for, and um, they say it's a feast of music, dance, and visual effects, but I didn't get a review copy, and I haven't seen this one, so I can't say for sure. But it has audio commentary from 1992 by Martin Scorsese and critic Bruce Eder, and we have an interview with filmmaker George Romero from 2005. Evidently, he was a fan of the Tales of Hoffman. Wow. And The Sorcerer's Apprentice from 1956, a short musical film based on the uh, the, the Von, Von Geth story. And it's not collection. Disney, is it? I uh, don't believe Sorcerer's so. Sorcerer's Apprentice? No, that's a, this is a short musical film, not a full oh. And it's not animated that I know of. Yeah, and this has nothing to do with the Pressburger thing? Uh, this is an extra on there, the short oh. musical film that was uh, also directed by Michael Powell. And it's Romero uh, talk about that. It'd be funny if Romero shows up in all these movies that you don't expect him to. <laughs> I know. Love well, Story. You know I... Love Story featuring commentary by George Romero. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? You know, I did hear something interesting. I heard that on his deathbed, he was uh, he was he he requested that they play the score for The Quiet Man as he uh, as he transitioned. I have that score. I heard... Yeah, I heard that was one of his favorites, and as he was and, and and what what did he request be played when he comes back? <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Cha-ching, That was good. That was very good. Oh, you're on your toes, my man. Anyway, uh, farewell, Amor is a uh, the luminous feature debut from filmmaker Equa Sangi, chronicling a broken family's journey to wholeness with empathy and insight. And uh, this is um, a 2020 release, fairly fairly new. And this is one of those uh, – you're talking about this, about Criterion's tendency to release newer films and how that you feel like they're throwing uh -huh. away their opportunities with classic films that have yet to make their way to – yeah, I kind of agree. But anyway, haven't seen this one. Uh, new commentary by uh, the director, three short films by the director, new interviews uh, from some of the actors. So there you go. The 1987 film Rouge, uh, this is, um, oh, I think this is, I want to, yeah, it's a Chinese, uh, I think it's Asian cinema. I'm not sure if it's Chinese. I think it's a Hong Kong from Hong Kong. Yep, it is. Hong Kong's second new wave, directed by pioneering queer melodrama master Stanley Kwan. Um, this is a, a tragic romance between an humble courtesan and the wayward scion of a wealthy family who embraced death by suicide pact. Mm. And uh, has a new conversation between the director and uh, um, 1997 documentary by the director exploring the representation of queerness and LGBT identity in Chinese film. Still love you after all these years. A 1997 memoir film by Quan. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, uh, Rouge from 1987 has been issued as Shaft has made its way to 4K at the 1971 Shaft. I don't need to say uh, any more about the plot of that film. It was a, uh, gen uh, I guess, accepted as one of the, um, I guess you would classify it as one of the first 
exploitation films. I don't know if it's the first, but it's certainly one of the first. In the, you know, when was Sweet Ass? Yeah, that was the same year. Was so it? I don't know. Uh, I don't know which came first. I can't say. I don't have the, that info. But they both came out the same year, and the original Shaft has been issued. Uh, the sequel is uh, also here as a bonus. The uh, Shaft's big score from 1972, mm. which is also directed by Gordon Parks, who directed the first one. I am surprised they didn't include the third one, Shaft in Shaft Africa. Africa. That was. Yeah. It's directed by John Gillerman. So believe mm. it or not. Um, but I like I like all of them actually. I, I have to admit that I enjoy them. And um, anyway, we have uh, oh, the alternate uncompressed stereo soundtrack remastered with the creative input from Isaac Hayes the third. And then we have a new documentary on the making of Shaft. Isaac Hayes the third. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Is that his son or something? Or? Uh, son, son, maybe. I don't know. I don't, who knows? Well, maybe the I'm first sure was that. his father. Yeah, maybe. it could be. Could be. I didn't know that he was a second. I don't know. I Somebody get on Ancestry. Who's listening? <laughs> Ancestry Fig- figure this on, shit out. Right. Uh, on uh, Isaac Hayes. Isaac anyway, Hayes is dead, right? He is. 2008. Yep. Okay. Gone a while. Uh, behind Damn the scenes. Right. <laughs> he was a bad mother. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, behind the scenes program featuring Parks, Richard Roundtree, and Isaac Hayes. This is obviously If archival. you have a choice to listen to either Shaft or Superfly, which one would you choose? I like Superfly. I'm a big Curtis Mayfield guy. Me too. Me too. I, uh, I think there's a little more substance there. You know, uh, there's some great, great songs from that soundtrack. Pusher Man. And, yeah. Oh, my God. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Freddy's Dead. That's the other one. Yeah. That's what I said. The movie or the <laughs> oh the song? Okay. Like Criterion's coming out with Freddy's Dead. No, no, no. We're talking about the, uh, the soundtrack from Superfly. Um, yeah, Superfly. Freddy's Dead. That's what I said. Anyway, um, yeah, Complicated Man, the Shaft Legacy from 2019, and behind the scenes footage from Shaft's big score. It's really a loaded uh, 4K edition, and there's a. Uh, the uh, the Criterion sale is now in full force, so uh, I didn't get a review copy of this, so maybe I'll maybe I'll have to pick that one up. Pink Flamingos has also made its way to blu- uh, Blu-ray, not 4K, but just Blu-ray, and you get uh, this is the John Waters film that made bad tastes perversely transcendent with the forever shocking counterculture sen- counterculture sensation that it was, uh, and of course. Uh, you know, what more can you say about this one as well? Where you have Divine as the wanted criminal hiding out with her family of degenerates in a trailer outside Baltimore while reveling in her tabloid notoriety as the filthiest person alive. I've seen it many times, and, you know, it is very crudely made, but there's some funny stuff going on there, I have to admit. Uh, two audio commentaries featuring, featuring John Waters from the 1997 Criterion Laserdisc and the 2001 DVD release. A new conversation between Waters and filmmaker Jim Jarmusch. Tour of the film's locations, deleted scenes, alternate takes, trailer, and an essay booklet. So there you go. Uh, And The Worst Person in the World from last year, 2021. This is a movie that uh, uh, I think uh, the star of the film won the Best Actress Prize at Cannes. I was surprised how much I liked this film. I really did, I have to admit. Um Saw it uh, back in December. A lot of these art house films were leaving me cold around that time, and I got a—I was uh, in the voting, doing my end of the year voting, and I got a, 
a, a link to this before it came out in theaters and really, really was taken aback by it, how much I enjoyed it. So The Worst Person in the World, uh, it's about uh, this uh, artistic young lady, I guess you would say, and, she, and it's about her relationships with two very different men. One is older and one is younger, closer to her age, and don't want to say too much, but it, uh, it kind of has a uh, turn, takes a tragic turn during the end, uh, the uh, the final stretch, and I found it to be quite profound at times. So anyway, one of my favorite films of last year, I would say. So worst person in the world from 2021, uh, getting a new interview. I haven't seen it yet. I need to see it. Yeah, you should. I mean, it's uh, been right there at my fingertips. I have watched the. I saw the Jerry and Marge. That was mm-hmm. cute. Saw um, Cha Cha Real Smooth. That was fine. Yeah, I heard that was okay. But the one I really liked was the Emma Thompson one, that Good Luck Leo Grand. Oh yeah, right, right. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Uh, and it's true that uh, it could be a stage play, you know, very easily. Essentially, that's mm-hmm. what it is. But uh, you know, since the movie's about intimacy, um, that's what movies can be are uniquely suited for. Right. Um, so I think it works works well the way it is, and it's beautifully performed and written, and I, I really enjoyed it as an acting piece, you know. Very good. That's good to hear. I was uh, I was wondering about that, and the uh, reviews are good. Word on the Street is very good about that. So, uh, yeah, I uh, did you see, not really a film, but I'm just curious, did you see the uh, Three Mile Island documentary that's... Uh, out there now i i haven't gotten around to that yet Did i, I kinda... see that yeah i saw that last month i think yeah was it uh, that was the I... netflix thing right yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah it was fine i was curious about that yeah i was interested in the subject matter so it's oh, me too, sure. which helps with their documentary a week thing at netflix oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah if you have a if you have a uh an interest in the subject matter it does make it a lot easier so yeah so anyway, we'll go to uh, the keynote releases for June 2022. We have uh, Film Noir, The Dark Side of Cinema, Volume 7, which includes The Fear Makers, The Boss, and Chicago Confidential. And there's uh, new audio commentaries here, theatrical trailers, and uh, you know new 2K masters. Savage Sisters from 1974, Three of the World's Deadliest Women, um... It says, and they've got plans for a spectacular jailbreak, a million-dollar robber, robbery, and an island revolution. So um, we have Sid, the great Sid Haig is in this, Eddie Romero, and um, Gloria Hendry from Black Belt Jones. She's also in that. So Anyway, Savage Sisters, 1974, getting a Blu-ray issue from Kino, new audio commentary, theatrical trailer. Uh, Stunt Rock from 1977 is another, uh, this is one of those Death Wish at 120 decibels, it's billed as. And uh, anyway, this actually stars Grant Page, Margaret Gerard. not really familiar, familiar with some of these actors. Anyway, it's a new 4K restoration, though, and an audio commentary by director Brian Trenchard-Smith with some of the actors from the film. So anyway... Um, you have Stunt Rock, um, The Mysterious Dr. Fu Manchu and The Return of Dr. Fu Manchu double feature. These are 1929, 1930 uh, films starring Warner Oland, who played Fu Manchu in a lot of these. I guess all of these films in those days. But anyway, uh, new commentary by Tim Lucas. And 
we'll move on. I love slaves of the Amazons. <laughs> We've said enough bad things about <laughs> that situation. Uh, love slaves of the Amazon. 1957, uh, directed by Kurt Schiodnack, um, Gianna Seagal, Don Taylor. Um, that's um. You know, this is from the uh, the sensational mind behind the Wolfman, the Ape, the Magnetic Monster, I Walk with a Zombie, and Donovan's Brain. So uh, a later career entry from the director of the Wolfman, Love Slaves of the Amazons, uh, features a new audio commentary by entertainment journalists Brian Reisman and Max Every. The Horse Soldier, starring John Wayne and William Holden from 1959, has been issued. It's a Western, obviously, uh, and new audio commentary by Joseph McBride, the author of Searching for John Ford. Uh, we have Last of the Dogmen from 1995. That's Tom Berenger and Barbara Hershey. I, I remember this playing a couple of weeks when I was a projectionist and uh, came and went pretty quickly. But it uh, kind of has a some sort of some bit some of a, sort of a following now. I think hmm. uh, I was kind of surprised to find out. I know when it went out of print on DVD, the DVDs were going uh, for exorbitant amounts. So I don't know, but. Anyway, it's a new 4K scan and new audio commentary by the director, Tab Murphy. And we have a booklet essay by film historian, the, our, our, uh, somebody that we appreciate their work, Julie Kurgo. Oh, good. Interviewed before, so glad she's back there doing booklet essays. Uh, we have the made-for-television 1975 film, The UFO Incident, starring James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons. I remember this being pretty good. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's a true story of Barney and Betty Hill, a husband and wife survivor of an alien alien abduction. Um, one of the most controversial and carefully documented cases of an extra extra. Nineteen nineteenth of September, nineteen sixty one, in New Hampshire, they were taken aboard a saucer-like spacecraft and examined medically by mysterious humanoid beings with grayish skin. And so it describes uh, in detail the couple's anxiety and nightmarish visions following the experience. And uh, this was, a, like I said, a pretty well-regarded uh, television film. Uh, the music score is done by Billy Goldenberg, who did the music for hmm. Duel and a lot of other television films. Also did Columbo. And there is a documentary as a bonus here. This is a pretty good uh, bonus. A feature-length documentary about the life and times of Billy Goldenberg called Romantic Mysticism. So, uh, and who stars, who stars in this? Uh, this is James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons and Bernard Hughes in uh, the wow. UFO incident. And then we have, like I said, the bonus documentary, Romantic Mysticism, the music of Billy Goldenberg. So uh, made by uh, uh, Gary Girani, who also does the audio commentary. So I uh, didn't get a review copy of this, but I think I'm going to pick this one up uh, because I'd like to. Uh, I think it's worth it for the bonus documentary, if nothing else. So anyway, out of sight has been issued in 4K. This is the uh, 1998, oh, you know, the uh, George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez adaptation, Steven Soderbergh adaptation of the Elmore Leonard book, and you know, also starring Nancy Allen and Albert Brooks even, Don Cheadle. And it's, like I said, it's getting a 4K Ultra HD release and an upgraded Blu-ray release, and it has the... Uh, all of the archival features, audio commentary by Soderbergh and screenwriter Scott Frank, and Inside In, Out of Sight, an original documentary on the making of the film, and uh, you know some deleted scenes, trailers, all that stuff. So there you go. Uh, Killer's Kiss has been issued in 4K. This was uh, Kubrick's 
Stanley Kubrick's um, his second feature, the film Noir, um, and um, has Frank Silvera, Irene Kane, Jamie Smith. Uh, you know, it's not a film he was really proud of, but it's interesting as a curio to see where he, you know, uh, car- cut his teeth, so to speak. And it has a brand new Dolby Vision HDR master um, and new commentary by film historian Imogene Sarah Smith in a trailer. Film Noir, The Dark Side of Cinema, Volume 1, includes He Ran All the Way, Witness to Murder, Big House USA, Bullet for Joey, and Storm Fear. Uh, those are all being issued in a box set. The Phantom of the Opera from 1998, directed by Dario Argento and uh, starring his daughter, Asia Argento and Julian Sands. Um, this includes a audio commentary uh, by Troy Howarth and Nathaniel Thompson and an interview with Argento himself. Um, so that, I think, is uh, those are your keynote releases for the month of June. And so we'll move along to some other titles. The Northman, which has been uh, was the uh, kind of a financial failure earlier this year uh, from the director of The Lighthouse and uh, The Witch, uh, and um, didn't didn't do as quite as well as they had expected that it would. But nevertheless, I hear it's a pretty good film of its type. It's a Viking film. Uh, I thought that was an interesting choice for him to follow up The Lighthouse. But anyway. <laughs> Um, the Northman has been issued in 4K and uh, Blu-ray, of course, from Universal. Lawrence of Arabia and Bridge on the River Kwai have been issued in 4K from Sony, both of those. Um, I think Bridge on the River Kwai was previously available as part of their Columbia Classics series box set, but now it's been issued separately. Uh, the Weatherman, starring Nicolas Cage, and The Mexican, starring uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Julia Roberts. Those have been issued on Blu-ray for Paramount uh, for the first time ever. And we talked a little bit last month about Grease 2. I don't know how much more we need to say about that, but <laughs> that has been issued in a steelbook edition um, with no extras. So uh, if you are a fan of Grease 2, and I guess you would know who you are, uh, there you go. <laughs> so it's another Paramount release. The Contractor from, has also been issued by four, in 4K. It's a new film starring fairly new. Chris Pine, um, didn't get a chance to check that one out, so I can't really say, but anyway, we have uh, The Mechanic getting a reissue from Scorpion releasing Charles Bronson, Jan Michael Vincent, 1972, and I think this has the previous commentary, I think, on it, I think. Um, anyway, a couple of Warner Archive titles we'll talk about right quick. We have... Zigfield Girl and For Me and My Gal. Uh, Zigfield Girl, all these are, uh, actually, there's a trio of Judy Garland films that have been issued. There's my, you can hear my uh, rattling, uh, the, the, the shriek rap, uh, the making, the, there you go. Anyway, uh, Zigfield Girl stars Judy Garland and Jackie Cooper. And it's basically about several people who are vying uh, for, uh, competing to be a Zigfield Girl. And the it's a musical, and it's Technicolor, and uh, it includes a new introduction by Garland biographer John Frick. Then a vintage musical short, A New Romance of Celluloid. We must have music in our gang, short melodies, old and new, two audio-only outtakes, theatrical trailer. So Zigfield Girl has been issued along with For Me and My Gal, also starring Judy Garland, along with Gene Kelly and George Murphy. 
and it's uh, she joins a couple of vaudevillians, and they come up with a uh, an act, and um, you know it's directed by Busby Berkeley, and it's from 1942. Commentary by Garland, biographer John Frick again, two vintage musical shorts. And we have outtakes, photo recreations, audio-only bonuses, and uh, the theatrical trailer. And then we have The Clock from 1945, a, a pretty good, solid film uh, starring old Robert Walker, who would, only, who would pass away only six years after this, as a soldier on leave who falls in love with Judy Garland in New York City, and they decide on a whim to get married, and all the people they meet in his uh, during his two days on leave and all that stuff. So uh, it's a sweet little movie. Uh, and anyway, this has vintage Pete Smith's specialty short Hollywood Scout, classic cartoon The Screwy Truant, and radio show adaptation with Judy Garland and John Hodiak. So there you go. A couple of releases from Cohen releasing. We have The Last Passenger starring Dugray Scott. And this was... Uh, an okay, I guess you would say, a thriller about a train with no conductor careening off the tracks on its, and the passengers have to try to stop it. You know, similar to Runaway Train, but um, you know, it's it's I don't know, it was okay, not not great. Can't really say that it's a great film, but uh, mildly di- diverting, I guess you would say. So anyway, uh, has uh, bonus features, a B-roll, sound bites, trailers, featurettes on the set design all that stuff. So it's a 2013 release. And uh, like I said, last passenger um, and breathe in from uh, starring Guy Pierce, Felicity, Felicity Jones, Amy Ryan. Guy Pierce is married to Amy Ryan and he falls for the younger Felicity Jones in this film. It's a, uh, it's from the, uh, I think it's from the same director who uh, did like crazy, I believe. And it has a bonus making of, Breathe In featurette trailers, exclusive interview with the director. So there you go. And The Fabulous Baker Boys has been issued by MVD Releasing from 1989, of course, with Jeff Bridges, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Bo Bridges, and the uh, iconic scene on top of the piano. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that has been issued by MVD. I think there are a few extras there. Uh, MVD, uh, not uh, Mill Creek releasing rather, has issued a double feature of, it's a Martin Short double feature, Cross My Heart and Pure Luck from 1987 and 1991. Yeah, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Cross My Heart's the romantic comedy he did with Annette O'Toole. That's right. That's not too bad. Um, Pure Luck luck is he and Danny Glover. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, Cross My Heart is tolerable. I thought it was. It's okay. It's I can I can deal with that. Which one's a better Danny Glover movie, Pure Luck or Gone Fishing? Oh boy, that's that's a real tough one there. Wow, what is Sophie's choice? Yeah, boy, I don't know. Gone Fishing's maybe that's the worst one considering somebody was actually killed. Yeah. As a result of it being made, so uh, you can't hardly get past that one. So. Oh, boy. So uh, speaking of Martin Short, uh, this is on a different label, but uh, Scorpion releasing is issuing Clifford. <laughs> well, that has an under... I would like to see Clifford because I've never actually seen it. That has I a, haven't either. That has a big underground following. I've recently sure read this kind of written oral history of it, mm-hmm. and people are treating it like it's this unsung comedy classic. Uh, so yeah. I, I'd be interested in watching it. 
Yeah, true. Yeah, I've always wanted to as well. It was. Uh, I remember when it came out. It, uh, it was one of those Orion films, right? That got lost when the company yeah. went belly up, and then they uh, it was on the shelf a couple of years, and they put it out, and it just kind of tanked. Yeah. So, one of those situations. So we have uh, Universal has issued all of the Bourne films in a complete collection set on 4K from 2002 to 2016. Got all those being issued. And, um, oh, we have, let's see, this is from 1985, another Scorpion releasing, The Heavenly Kid. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, from starring uh, Jason Gedrick and Lewis Smith and Richard Mulligan and Mark Metcalf. About a guy who dies in a car accident and he's, Gets a second chance at life. You know, I don't know, sounds a little bit like uh, Heaven Can Wait, but I never saw it. I remember it, people speaking of it uh, fondly who were coming of age during that time. I guess you had to be a certain age to enjoy it. But anyway, the uh, 1980 cult film starring Hervé Villachez, uh, Forbidden Zone, has been issued in a director's cut. The tale, the bizarre musical tale of a girl who travels to another dimension through the gateway found in her family's basement. Also stars Susan Terrell, and yeah, I think it may have, directed by Richard Elfman, I think it may have been the only feature film that Hervé Villachez made. Uh, I'm thinking. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so there you go. Compartment number six is an, uh, uh, an indie film from earlier this year that got really good reviews. I think it uh, was a grand prize winner at Cannes, but boy, did I dislike this film. <laughs> What's it called? Compartment number six. Mm. I want to say it was the grand prize winner at the Cannes Film Festival of last year. Uh, but boy, uh, I don't get it. It's about this uh, girl who breaks up with, gets out of a relationship and decides to take a trip and meets this very annoying alcoholic on this train. And, well, I couldn't have spent two seconds with this insufferable guy. And she uh, somehow manages to fall for him. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, uh, talk about stretching credibility. But anyway. Whatever. A lot of people seem to like it, and it, it was an awards winner, so who's to say? Uh, those John Hughes films that were issued last year in a bundle by Paramount have been issued separately. That includes Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, and She's Having a Baby. Those have all are all getting their uh, first ever separate Blu-ray release, except I think Pretty in Pink was part of the Paramount Presents line earlier, but, you know. Anyway, so we'll move along. And speaking of Mill Creek, they've also issued a George Clooney double feature, The American and Leatherheads. Good Lord. <laughs> yep. I can tolerate The American. Uh-huh. I liked Not it so okay. Leatherheads. Yeah, Leatherheads was filmed in my backyard over here in Charlotte, so uh, mm. yeah, it sure was. Didn't see it, though, I must say. So. I must say, there you are on Martin Short again. Oh, <laughs> uh, so Film Movement has issued the um, the 1994 Taiwan film, which is uh, pretty well reviewed on part of their Film Movement classics. This is a uh, Vive Lamour. It's uh, directed by Sai Ming Liang, sophomore feature uh, about three lonely souls sharing a Taipei apartment. This includes, uh, got really good reviews when it came out. A Riley comic drama, says Richard Brody of The New Yorker. 
and uh, has a 16-page booklet on the film and a featurette. So there you go from Film Movement. Uh, Giant has been issued in 4K, the uh, the classic. George Stevens film starring Liz Taylor and Rock Hudson and James Dean. Well, what more can we say about that? Uh, it's, uh, like I said, gotten the 4K restoration. Uh, not really much in the way of extras here. There's an, a new commentary. Well, it's not a new commentary. I think it's an archival commentary from George Stevens Jr., Ivan Moffat, and Stephen Farber. But if you're a fan of Giant, it looks great. They've done a great job with the restoration, I must say. So, uh, yeah. So Michael Bay's latest, The Ambulance, has been issued uh, by Universal. I don't know what to say about that. Didn't see it. Can't really I make a it. comment. Did you? What'd you think? Fucking Michael Bay, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Sums it up, huh? Yeah, I yeah. It's 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 fine. It, what what? Just Michael Bay. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. What more can you say? This is true. Uh, so, Shout Factory has issued the Herzog, Werner Herzog Collection, Volume 2. I'm not sure what the titles are in that one, but it's uh, they, they they did, a, uh, obviously, a previous title, Volume 1. This is continuing on the heels of that. Um, so we have that. Raiders of the Lost Ark has been reissued in 4K in a steelbook set. So that has, uh, Paramount has done the honors on that. Last year it got a 4K release as part of the uh, Indiana Jones box set, but now it's gotten a separate limited edition Ultra HD um, release with, I think most of the extras are included here from the uh, you know previous issues. But anyway, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you haven't gotten, if you didn't get the uh, box set last year, now you can get it separately in 4K. So there's that. Uh, Morbius, the uh, Nick Cage film. From this year, earlier this year, that's been issued in 4K as well. And let's move along. Morbius, isn't that Jared Leto? It is Jared Leto. Yes, yeah. uh, it is. Yeah, it's not. It's not Nick Cage. I was looking at the uh, is the film where he plays himself. Yeah. 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 So, yep, that is Jared Leto. You're right. Uh, Father Stu has been issued as well. That's the uh, you know Mark Wahlberg thing. Also from earlier this year, The Little Rascals Volume Six, the uh, Rona, the uh, classic flicks restorations. Uh, they keep pumping these out. These, uh, this is the latest volume. I don't think there are too many more left at this point, but uh, they keep putting them out there, and they look great. Well, I don't know what else to say about those. Um, uh, you were talking about uh, Disney animated films earlier. The Rescuers Two Movie Collection and The Emperor's New Groove Two Movie Collection. Those have been issued with uh, collecting. The original and the sequels to both those films. And uh, Fatherhood from 2021, starring Kevin Hart, has been issued on uh, Blu-ray from It's Universal. And The Black Dahlia has been reissued by Mill Creek on Blu-ray. Ha, ha, ha. The, uh, <laughs> this is the Brian De Palma film that we uh, often derided. But should have been... Could have been, should have been, but yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, The Unbearable Weight of Massive, Massive Talent is the film that I uh, accidentally called out. Nick Cage's, uh, <laughs> that's the film he's in, sorry. Uh, yeah, from 2022 where he plays himself. I did not see it, uh, but I hear pretty good things about it. I don't know if you got around to seeing it. but uh, I'd like to. 
Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I hope too soon. So, uh, speaking of Nick Cage, you also have Vampire's Kiss from 1988. It's the one where he eats the cockroach, I believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On camera. Uh, Universal Soldier has been issued in 4K from Lionsgate and the bad guys. I think that's Universal. That's a 4K release as well. And, um, also Blue Underground has issued Uncle Sam. The, uh, that's the, the, uh, William Lustig's, the final film he's made up to this point, I think, in 4K, uh, from 1996. And another Mill Creek release, two more actually. We have Heart and Souls from 1993. That's, that's not, a terrible film. It's the okay. Downey thing? Yeah, Robert, the Robert, Robert Downey, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Ron Underwood, I think, directed that. Yeah. And then we have King Ralph. That's not so good. Uh, mm. <laughs> Boy, Universal was pumping out these really bad movies. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, oh, gosh, the uh, the Martin Short with just pure luck and King Ralph, Babe Ruth. Uh, just some really bad movies they were pumping out there in the early 90s. I don't know what was going on there. Oh, but anyway, so we'll get into some of the Arrow video releases. We have the uh, Anthony Perkins entry where he plays, gets to do the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, Edge of Sanity from 1989. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching that as a teenager. I have yet to see it. I have a review copy of it, didn't get around to it. Uh, the only thing I, I really remember yeah. is there's a scene where he's Hyde. Uh-huh. And he's got a knife to the throat of a prostitute with enormous breasts. That's the oh, only wow. image I can recall from that movie. <laughs> well, uh, that's a that's a selling point if there ever was one. So, uh, yeah, I need to. I, I was actually going to try to get to that last night, but uh, time didn't allow for that, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, some new extras here, uh, commentary, I think, and some featurettes. And uh, Arrow always does stellar transfers. So I just want to mention that. Uh, the Initiation of Sarah is another one of the Arrow video releases for the month. I did get a chance to watch that. It's a made-for-television film, 1978, with Kay Lins as a woman, who, a young lady who has uh, powers similar to Carrie. And she uh, is uh, going – she's in college for the first time and uh, going uh, starting out in college, and she's in a sorority, and uh, the sorority – there's another sorority that her sister gets into, but she's not allowed into it, and they play a practical joke on her, and she unleashes her talent, much like Carrie. But there's some uh, interesting, fun stuff. Of a, as far as TV movie ripoffs go, it's not uh, not not the worst thing you could do. Uh, look, great transfer, uh, some new commentaries, extras. Uh, but I I could give a uh, a marginal thumbs up, as Ebert and Cisco used to say, for the initiation of Sarah from 1978. Kind of kind of fun in its own way. And, um, yeah, so Forced Entry from 1976, that's not a title, I was really, that's from Dark Force Entertainment that starred Tanya Roberts and Nancy Allen. Mm. Uh, it must have been pre-Carrie for Nancy Allen, I would assume. But anyway, Monday Morning from 1990 is, uh, uh, that's an MVD release, oh, I'm trying to figure out who the actors are in that thing uh noah blake and lisa renna jason lively who was in uh, oh gosh there's some horror film he was in in the 80s he's also in the national lampoon's european vacation but um anyway haven't seen monday morning also known as class of fear uh the russia house has been reissued it was 
previously issued by Twilight Time. It was out of print. Now Sandpiper Entertainment has picked up those rights and put that out. Uh, I'm not a fan of this one. I just thought it was kind of a slog, to be quite Beautiful honest. score. Yep. Yep, true. True, true, true. So, anyway. Uh, and, yeah, is that uh, Goldsmith that did uh, Russia I think, House? I think it is. Yeah, I was trying to think. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I can't, I can't hum the thing. Oh, uh, let's see. So uh, the other issue by Arrow for the month uh, is uh, True Romance. They've done that in 4K, and uh, that looks great. Uh, all the archival stuff has been carried over from the previous DVD and Blu-ray editions that Warner Brothers issued years ago, and. It was great to see True Romance in 4K. It's still still a great movie. Um, you know, it's Tony Scott doing his version of a Quentin Tarantino film, obviously, and uh, it's it's just a lot of fun. I, I so enjoy it. Always have, and uh, uh, that was you know that came out uh, before Tarantino was known as you know who he would eventually become. And so I I remember the trailers didn't sell the film very well, so I didn't see it in a theater, and uh, just didn't look didn't look like something I would enjoy. And then when I, when Tarantino became a thing, I saw it on cable and was blown away by it. I loved it. So, um, yep. So anyway, true romance, getting the uh, deluxe treatment from arrow on a, in a new 4k set, the, uh, latest fantastic beasts, uh, secret of Dumbledore. That's the third one in this, uh, spin off from the Harry Potter franchise or whatever. And, uh, didn't do very much business, and there's talk that they're probably not going to do any more of these, but uh, I'm not even sure why they did this one. But anyway, it's out in 4K and Blu-ray from uh, Warner's. And the First Wives Club has been issued as part of the Paramount Presents line of titles from 1996 with a uh, few new extras here. It's, of course, Diane Keaton, Bette Midler, and Goldie Hawn as women who have been Done wrong by their husbands. So, anyway. Uh, Boomerang from 1992, starring Eddie Murphy. This has been given its first time Blu-ray release for its 30th anniversary. And uh, there's a commentary here by the director, Reginald Hutland. And the extended and deleted scenes with director's commentary. So, if you're a fan of Boomerang... There you go. Also, Harlem Nights has been given a Blu-ray release. You know, I always was... Uh, I was so disappointed with this film. I, I thought, with that cast, how can you go wrong? Yeah. Red Fox and Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. And he went wrong. But <laughs> anyway, I don't know if I feel differently about it now. But anyway, it was not um, not good from what I recall. So anyway, the new version of Firestarter... Uh, I heard it was terrible. Didn't didn't get a chance to see it, but I did not hear good things. Uh, yeah, that has been issued uh, from Universal. The She Creature from 1956 has been issued by Scream Factory, I believe, as has A Fire in the Sky from 1993. This is the another alien abduction film. It stars a DB Sweeney, I believe. Yeah, they were all the rage at a certain time during that yeah, period. Yeah, they were. And this one I remember being pretty much a slog, except for the uh, the the kidnapping sequence towards the end of the film. 
That's where it becomes interesting. Unfortunately, you have to wait till the last ten minutes of the film before Fire that. Fire in the sky, the arrival, communion. Yeah. 